today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. The opportunities at this point in time for God's grace, for God's mercy, I believe they're they're past. His fierce wrath is about to be unleashed. Remember, he's already sealed 144,000, and he's taken others that have come to him. He's called men to him. They continue to reject him. And now this second half of the Great Tribulation, I don't think that there's going to be any conversions. I don't believe that there's going to be anyone at that point in time coming to Christ or coming to awareness. I believe that the hardness of the heart of man has become so much that right now it's just the wrath of God. Now, there's going to be some that are already saved that have made it to that point. I just don't believe there's going to be any conversions beyond that point. The Lord has been calling people to Him for a long time. We are in a day and age where most people know about God or believe that He exists. But we know that even the devil believes in God. The deciding factor is if they'll come to know Jesus as their Savior. Pastor David is teaching through a period of time when the Lord's wrath is being poured out on earth, and everyone who has rejected him has to endure it. Let's not wait another moment to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 11 with today's edition of The Open Word. even in the midst of what appears to be absolute chaos in the earth. All you have to do is back up any number of chapters and start reading, and then when you get to this, you realize that the world, at this point in time, uh, so much devastation, so much destruction, so much death, so much disease, so many things that are going on, and yet now they rise up and they say, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. In his reigning, I believe that his plans and his purposes are being worked out, even as they declare in a little bit that your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged. You see, right in the midst of all this chaos, God has a plan and a purpose. Now that's something for you and I to remember every day in our life. Anybody go through chaos lately? Within the last hour, maybe? Chaos, it happens within life. But one of the things that you and I need to continually realize is our God is in charge of his creation. He's totally aware of what's going on within our lives. And that's the awesome thing. We have a personal God, a personal Savior who knows our weaknesses. He knows our frame. He knows the number of our days. He knows every aspect about us, even to, as the word says, he knows the numbers of the hairs on our head. And as the old joke goes, for some of us, we just make it easier and easier for the Lord, aren't we? So God knows what's going on in the chaos, even, of our lives. And he has a plan, and he has a purpose. In the midst of chaos, that's hard to understand, isn't it? It is. 
It's hard, man, when you are just overwhelmed and your world is falling apart. But, beloved, that's why no matter where you're at, whatever station you're at, you need to focus on the sovereignty and the omnipotence of Almighty God. If you haven't figured out the sovereignty, the overarching, reigning, ruling position of our God, and the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of our God, if you haven't figured that out yet, when you hit chaos you will fall apart. That may be the only thing that holds you together in the midst of chaos, knowing that, you know what? God, I don't understand what's going on in my life, but I know that you are God, and that is where I drive my stakes, where I hold on to things. I know that you are God and that you're aware of everything. You know, whether it's a time of new construction or even a major remodeling project, For those that don't have eyes for the completed project, the middle of that project is a hard place to be. You see the mess. You see what appears to be just absolute chaos. And there is absolutely nothing usable in any of this as far as you're concerned. But if you're the architect, if you're the one that's designed the remodel, the new construction, whatever it might be, you have the finished picture in your mind. And even in the midst of chaos, hey, I know it's chaos. It's okay. It's okay. Because tomorrow this is going to happen. And next week this is going to happen. I know because I've designed this thing. I've planned it. I've purposed it. And in the middle of the mess, God says, that's okay. That's okay. I'm working out my plan and my purpose. It says here that In verse 18, it says, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The nations were angry. They continued to rebel against God, and we saw that in these earlier chapters as all of these things came down upon them. They continued on, and I just look over in chapter 9, verse 20, it says, but the rest of mankind who were not killed in all of these plagues... They didn't repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship again the demons, the idols of gold, the brass, the silver, the stone, the wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So in the midst of that, they're angry at God because all this is going on. They don't repent. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 2. Wonderful psalm. People rebelling against God. They rebel in anger. The psalmist doesn't get it in much the same way as we look at people in their actions and we wonder, why do you continue to live that way? Why do you continue to make the choices that you're making when you see the consequences of those choices, either in your life or the life of your family or the life of others? Why do you continue to do that? And the psalmist is, in essence, asking the same question. But we really do know why. The reason is, is because rebellion is controlling their heart. Their heart is full of pride. Their heart is full of selfishness. Their heart is full of disobedience. Keep your place in Revelation. We'll be back there. Turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms and Psalms chapter 2. I love this particular psalm. He writes out, Why do the nations rage and the people plot this vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, did you catch that right there? This is Old Testament, okay? And what is he saying? Against Jehovah God, the Lord, 
and against his anointed Messiah, okay, Christ himself. It says they've taken counsel, they've set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What kind of bonds, what kind of cords do you think they're saying? Well, the law of God, the counsel, the direction of God, the work of God. I don't want to be directed by God. I don't want to have to be obedient to that. I don't want to be ruled by somebody else. I want to do my own thing. I want to control my own you know, ship. Well, good luck with that. That's called the Titanic, okay? You want to control your own ship? We got a name for it. Let us break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords from us. And what does verse 4 say? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. You want to break the bonds? Go ahead. I got a name for your ship. Okay. He says, the Lord shall hold them, in my New King James, it says, in derision. That means in contempt or disdain. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And he'll say, yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. That could mean a couple of different things. That could mean the reigning position of Christ. But to me, when I look at that, I think, you know what? What hill was Christ set on by the Father? The hill called Golgotha, Calvary. In spite of man's rebellion, God says, you know what? But I'm going to set my son on that holy hill. Why? Because we so desperately need it. We so desperately need that forgiveness. It speaks of the fact that he sent Christ first as the sacrifice for our sin, but also the fact that he's going to come and he's going to stand on that holy hill Zion and he's going to speak again in judgment to the people then for all that they've said, all that they've done, the rebellion of their heart. Verse 7, still there in Psalm 2, he says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is that one, my king that sat on the holy hill. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you, speaking again to the son, to Christ, I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Beloved, that's not a promise to you and I as victorious believers. No, that is a promise to Christ because Christ is the one, again, who is going to break them with a rod of iron. It's Christ who is going to dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Here God speaks of the inheritance that is Christ, the nations, the earth, for his possession, as well as that vengeance that's going to be poured out of his wrath against the people and against those nations that have continually, continually rejected him. And as the psalmist declares, this heavenly dialogue, he calls for a time of repentance while there's still time before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Look at verse 10. He says, therefore now, or now therefore, Be wise, O king. In other words, if we were to say that today, we'd say, wise up. Wise up, you guys. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
I like that combination. Serve the Lord with fear, and yet at the same time, you rejoice with trembling. What do you mean? That's understanding the awesomeness of who God is. I mean, the fact is, Matt, I, I rejoice in his presence, but I tremble in his presence. We are like Isaiah there in the book of Isaiah. He, he stood before the throne. He said, woe is me. Man, I, I'm undone. I'm, I'm dead meat. It's over. I'm standing before Almighty God. There ought to be that reverence that we have with God, but yet also that rejoicing that we can be in his presence. At the same time, those two things working together, a reverent fear, a holy joyfulness that we can come to be able to be in his presence. And then verse 12, again, just a great announcement of the Messiah. He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. It's interesting. And here the, the psalmist knew that even a little bit of God's wrath was going to bring about destruction. He says, lest you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Well, beloved, on that great day, on those last days, that last three and a half years, it's not going to be his wrath kindled just a little bit. It's going to be the fullness of his wrath poured out on the nations and on the people who have rejected him. And so he says, though, he calls for the people in that time of repentance, hey, kings, man, be instructed. Get wise, wise up. Get instructed, you judges of the earth. He says, kiss the sun, kiss the sun. The word used here is the Hebrew word nashak, nashak. And it's not just an expression of love, like a husband would kiss the wife or the wife would kiss the husband or a parent a child. It's more an expression of worship and absolute adoration. So it's that idea of worship the son, adore the son. How do we avoid the wrath and the anger of Almighty God? We kiss the Son. We worship Him in obedience. We worship Him in truth. As we turn back now to Revelation chapter 11, we see actually for the world, even at this time, it's now too late. It is now too late. The opportunities at this point in time for God's grace, for God's mercy, I believe they're they're past. His fierce wrath is about to be unleashed. Remember, he's already sealed 144,000, and he's taken others that have come to him. He's called men to him. They continue to reject him. And now the second half of the Great Tribulation, I don't think that there's going to be any conversions. I don't believe that there's going to be anyone at that point in time coming to Christ or coming to awareness. I believe that the hardness of the heart of man has become so much that right now it's just the wrath of God. Now, there's going to be some that are already saved that have made it to that point. I just don't believe there's going to be any conversions beyond that point. The opportunities, I believe, are past. The son is about to return, not with his mouth 
ready for that kiss of worship. No, he's now coming with out of his mouth is going to come this sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself, Revelation says, is going to rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. We're going to read that once we get to Revelation 19. And as we see here in Revelation 11, verse 18, we see not only this time of wrath that's being poured out, but we also see the blessings of his reward for those that have followed him. As the wrath has come and as the time of the dead has come, that they should be judged, he says that he would reward his servants, the prophets and the saints, those that fear his name, small and great. And although the wicked are judged, He brings with him this great reward, I believe, to all of his servants, the prophets, the saints, all those that feared his name with a godly fear. And yet he's going to thoroughly destroy those that have brought destruction into the earth. He says that you should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, as bad as crimes against our environment are, as bad as we can mess up the environment, I don't think that that's what he's dealing with. I believe that what he says, he's going to destroy those who have destroyed the earth. I believe he's speaking about those that have brought death and brought destruction into the world. Because in verse 19, we see another awesome event. It says, then the temple of God was opened in heaven And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. There were lightnings, noise, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Way back in the book of Exodus, as the children of Israel were in the wilderness, after they had left Egypt, God instructed Moses to build not only the tabernacle, the place of worship, but he also had him build this ark, the ark of the covenant. And they were to build it with uh, certain specifications that God gave him and certain materials that he was going to have them build it with. And they were to transport it even in a particular and precise way. And although the base of the structure was acacia wood, God told Moses that you shall overlay it all with pure gold, both inside and outside, and you shall make a molding around it with gold. So again, all of this that's there. And then he said that you're going to need to make a cover for it. And again, it's a particular cover. It's called a mercy seat, and it was to be made out of pure gold. On top of this mercy seat then, there were fashioned these two cherubim, these two angels. Now you need to understand, cherubim are not fat, naked angels, little baby angels. That's not what a cherubim is, okay? Cherubim are angels. I mean, we're talking mighty, powerful angels. And he gave, you know, exact instructions for him. Again, back in Exodus, he says, you shall make two cherubim of gold, Of hammered work, you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make it with one piece with the mercy seat. So in other words, they become part of that whole mercy seat structure. The cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. So in essence, these two cherubim are on either side of the, uh, I think it's about two cubits long that the mercy seat is, and they are formed and fashioned there, and they're kind of facing each other, but their faces are down, looking down at the top of that mercy seat. 
He says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments. He says, put the testimony that I give you. And there, he says, there I will meet you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. So God is telling Moses, make this ark, make it out of basically out of acacia wood, but then cover it with gold. Make this mercy seat with gold, these two cherubim, these two angelic beings out of gold. And that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I'm going to speak to you from at that place there. And everything I will give you uh, will be a commandment to the children of Israel. So after they built the wilderness tabernacle, the ark was placed then in the Holy of Holies. And if you remember, it went behind this heavy, massive curtain, only viewed by the high priest once a year as he came in to sprinkle the sacrifice on top of the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. This continued on even as they built Solomon's temple and as they brought again the ark into that holy of holy places. That again, the heavy curtain, no one allowed to enter except the one priest one time a year. Not viewable to the public eye. What happened at the point in time during Jesus' crucifixion? What happened? The veil ripped. And the awesome thing about it is, it says that it ripped from the top down. I believe God ripped it right in half. Ripped it right in half. So again, that holy place that he used to meet with Moses, that he would meet with the high priest, would be the place then for all of us to be able to enter in, to be able to have that kind of a relationship with him, to have that personal relationship with Almighty God, the one who hung the stars in space, and yes, the one that's in charge of all the chaos that you might see around you and the one that will see you through all of that chaos too. In essence, God is showing, again, that there in that ark, though now here where the temple of God is opened up in the heavens, and the ark of his covenant was seen there in the temple, as it says here in Revelation, not only is the temple revealed, but now the ark is revealed. And in essence, what God is saying is he's showing the law of his holy standard, his, his righteous judgment, and that judgment and that law is against all of these rebellious nations. And in essence, all the rebellious nations are there. Heaven above opens up. The temple is seen. The ark is now seen that you can see. This is what now you're going to be judged on. You didn't have to be here at this place. You could have come to me through the blood of the sacrifice, the blood of Christ on your behalf. But since you didn't, now the wrath of the law is going to be poured out upon you. Some had come already to the point of kissing the son, to worship him in that obedience and in that truth. While others, they continued to reject his lordship, even through all of the stuff that we've seen already in these chapters, and it's going to continue to get worse. God reveals his standard, and the balance of mankind is totally lacking, totally lacking. They're not able to meet that standard. They're not able to meet it on their own. And besides that, they've turned against the very standard of God. And John tells us then that there begins lightnings, and noises, and thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. 
great wrath, I, I believe, of Almighty God is getting ready to be poured out. And behold, that third woe is coming quickly. We've come to the end of our time together for today. But if you're not ready to be done yet, you can find additional messages from The Open Word. Pastor David is here to share how you can continue listening. Hey, thanks, Chris. We love getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible. All the teachings you hear on The Open Word have been preserved on our website. You're welcome to access them. Visit theopenword.com to listen to or download the messages God has supplied from His Word. That website again is theopenword.com or you can search for The Open Word Podcast on iTunes and subscribe for free. I'd like to encourage you to take these messages with you on the go. You never know when you'll have a moment of peace in your day. So why not fill it with God's Word? I hope you continue to study the Bible and that it continues to bless you and fill you with His joy. Thanks, Pastor David. We're so glad these resources are available to us whenever we want them. The book of Revelation is so often shrouded in mystery with its outlandish pictures of winged creatures by the throne of God and roaming the earth. As we continue to study, though, we'll be able to discern how these pictures all point to the one spotless lamb who conquered all through laying down his life. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, the lamb, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd love to share the greatest story with you, the one where God came down to earth to join in a relationship with us. That's all for today, but join us next time right here on The Open Word.